Welcome to Chalk Talk, your new podcast devoted to all things cardiovascular calcium, offering up the latest news, perspective, and insights from Shockwave and leading physicians using IVL. Let's get cracking. Happy to be joining you today for our first episode of Chalk Talk. The CEO of Shockwave Medical, Doug Godshaw, thanks for joining us forward to kind of learning a little bit more about you, your career, and kind of when you joined Shockwave and what the company has been up to over the course of the last few years. So maybe we can actually just start there thinking about, you know, when you joined Shockwave, put yourself back in that shoes. Why did you decide to join the company? Thanks, Scott. I joined Shockwave back in, in May of 2017. Uh, prior to Shockwave, I had run a company called Hardware, and, and uh, Hardware was a, a public company. We, we um, had a very successful run uh, reached almost 300 million in revenue and got acquired by Medtronic. And as I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next, I, I was um, uh, hoping I might find something that had an even bigger opportunity than hardware uh, that had the ability to create a, a broad portfolio of products. Hardware was a single product company um, and, uh, and something that uh, had the ability to uniquely uh, address a significant Sort of under under met um, uh, poorly poorly treated disease, um, and, and was highly differentiated from from other technologies. And uh, ideally, it was a big enough opportunity where I could uh, uh, wasn't wasn't going to have to sit back and wait for the company to get acquired. Because uh, to me, it's a lot more fun and interesting to uh, to really build out a company and. Um, uh, uh, recruit a team, uh, watch people thrive as the company grows, uh, and, and ideally uh, take, take a company public. And, uh, and lo and behold, there are like almost none of those opportunities <laughs> looking, for, looking for a CEO. Uh, and so uh, I was lucky I had lots of things to look at. Um, and, and I was particularly fortunate that, that the board at, at Shockwave uh, offered me this opportunity uh, because on, on almost every front, it has exceeded my expectations. The, the technology uh, works better than I had hoped even. Uh, the customers are uh, more enthusiastic about the outcomes they get with their patients than I had hoped. And it's a much more versatile um, uh, technology than I, than I, than I expected. Um, uh, and so it's, it's, really been, uh, it's really been a, um, a tremendous experience so far in the past, the past three and a half years or so. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm particularly lucky that that Jonathan Hill, a physician, a, a cardiologist in the UK, when I when I called him just to get his feedback on the on the technology, having used it in in a couple handfuls of patients during our first trial, CAD one, in the coronaries, uh, he he described it as a a eureka moment the first time you use Shockwave, and I and I realized in, in I've had a, I've had a fairly fortunate career, but I hadn't been involved with too many Eurekas, so I, I thought that was that was probably something I ought to I ought to do. Um, and and now you sit through live cases of shockwaves, and it's it's uh, it's like a Eureka almost every time. So it's really it's really special. Yeah, tell me about that first case you ever participated in. Where where was it? Do you remember who it was with, and kind of what was your kind of Eureka moment like? Yeah, so, uh, so my first peripheral case was actually at uh, Catholic Memorial up in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire. Um, snowy day uh, uh, back back then in 2017, and um, and it was they had they had been getting some decent experience with the device, 
um, early, early on in our, in our commercial experience. And the, the, I think the, my biggest takeaway was, was in that case, not so much the reaction of the physician, but the staff just loved our device. It was so easy to use. They were, it was, it was like they were cheering for the physician to, to pick up our device versus alternatives because it was so predictable, so easy for them to use. The, um, uh, the outcome for the patient uh, is just a pristine runoff from uh, angiographic runoff when they take an x-ray of the patient. It, it was, uh, staff loved it. Second case was, uh, in, in, well, my, my first coronary case, uh, ironically, was, was with Dr. Hill in the UK. Um, and, and he also obviously had a decent amount of experience from clinical trials, uh, but it was uh, just an, a remarkable case. They had three vessels that he had to open up. And at the end of the case, he and his, um, uh, his, his team were, were sort of walking us through why that case would not be possible or would be extremely difficult without shockwave. Um, uh, towards the end of the day, the surgeon who had turned down this case came in to look at, to look at the results and his comment to Jonathan was, if you can treat patients like this, what's going to be left for us in surgery? And, uh, and that's one of those, like, you, you, you know, you know, you got lucky, uh, picking, picking this company when, uh, you, you may actually have the ability to meaningfully shift, uh, uh, procedures out of surgery and into interventional procedures. And I think Shockwave is, is demonstrating that in both in the coronaries and the periphery. Yeah. No, no doubt. In, in terms of kind of your time to date, obviously, you know, the company has grown significantly, but also has achieved a lot. When you look back at those achievements, what would you be the most proud of? So I, I spent a lot more time looking at the things that I wish we had accomplished or that we haven't yet accomplished, I guess. Um, but the, um, uh, finishing the CAD3 study and the PAD3 study um, and CAD4 in Japan, finishing all of those concurrently right as COVID was hitting and watching the, the Shockwave team at large really rally through the extraordinary, extraordinary challenges of 2020, which, which I know aren't behind us just yet. Uh, I mean, we, we didn't miss a beat. On anything, whether it's whether it's those uh, those trials, uh, then submitting our PMA ahead of schedule, or preparing the data for presentation at at TCT, followed by Pad three at, at Viva. Um, uh, and granted, it's like none of this is my doing. It's it's really just admiring the the persistence, passion, and 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 capability of of the cross functional team through an extraordinarily uh, adverse year of, of 2020 and doing it all via Zoom and Teams and, and phone calls. Uh, and we still were ahead of schedule on almost everything. It, it was really remarkable. Um, aside from that, I, I, I look around the company at, at, the, at the caliber of the talent and I was lucky when I joined, there, uh, there were a lot of really talented people here uh, and we have we have infused the, the company going from about 90 people to over 450 now with with a, a really stellar uh, competence um, across each function. Like we we don't have any, I don't see any weak spots in the company. Um, 
and that's hard when you're you're sort of small and growing. Uh, sometimes you compromise on uh, on who you hire because you're you're in a rush. But uh, but it, but across the board, I think the the execution reflects the the strength of the of the team. So um, I mean, I see the CEO's job. Uh, you sort of you set direction uh, and you try to attract talented people uh, and hopefully find enough money to, to invest and execute on the direction. And, uh, and so far, as, if I look at the, at the caliber of folks that, that I'm surrounded by um, and their ability to get, um, get the job done uh, with, without a lot of, with a lot, uh, without a lot of politics or a lot of complaining uh, and, and having customers just delighted with the experience of working with our company. It's, it's, it's great. It's very impressive. Right. Speaking of execution, Looking back into your days leading hardware, what part of that experience has served you well in terms of the launching IVL commercially in the United States here, you know, peripherally and then soon, you know, coronary? Um, yeah, one of the things that we did, and obviously we, you know, you always probably learn more from your mistakes than from, from the things that went well. But one of the things we did learn uh, at hardware that went very well is we, we uh, launched uh, first in Europe, and 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 successfully in Europe. A, a lot of a lot of um, U.S. early stage companies uh, don't have products that translate well to international markets. They cost too much, or there's inadequate reimbursement, or whatever. There there are um, there's more friction to enter international markets for a lot of technologies. Um, when I joined, we we were sort of selling the product in Germany, but not really. Um, we had a little bit of revenue, but but it was uh, it was more running clinical trials in Germany. And as coronary as the coronary device got got approved, we really um, uh, were pretty aggressive in the rollout of of the coronary device, and uh, and that. Uh, was extremely helpful both in terms of balancing the revenue so that we were able to uh, sort of reduce our overall cash burn by generating some some cash flow out of Europe but but it also taught us a lot about um, how to how to commercialize and what uh, uh, what needs um, and, and patient conditions was the c2 coronary device uh, particularly adept at serving uh, so that that both informed how we would launch the product in the U.S., um, but it also built this huge reservoir of enthusiasm for for the coronary device um, uh, prior to the U.S. launch, which, as of today, we have we have not been approved yet in the U.S. Um, but but uh, uh, but that also really helped us as we. Uh, as we prepared to do our, our IPO in 2019, because there was such positive feedback coming out of Europe, uh, based on the clinical experience, uh, the commercial experience with the coronary device, that that it was a it was a much richer story for Wall Street to digest. And I, and I think the coronary success in 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 Europe arguably was as or more important than anything else we were doing in terms of attracting um, capital to 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 our IPO. Uh, I'd say the other thing that the the obvious learning that every CEO would tell you is like um, don't compromise on talent. Attract the most the strongest people you can find, um, uh, and and um, and when you when you 
when you see something that isn't working, make the decision early and and uh, and and cut your losses versus uh, versus letting inertia keep keep a mistake rolling and and small mistakes become big mistakes if you if you don't make a change. Um, and I can there there are lots of other lessons learned, uh, which I'm happy to share. Nice. Um, going back to the IPO, considering you raised it, you know, what was that whole process like? Too many med tech leaders have probably had the opportunity to take two small, high growth companies public. What was that process like for you, you know, the second time around? Hopefully it was a, a little bit more enjoyable considering you knew what you were getting yourself into. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, I, I would always caution people, like, be careful what you wish for if you're going to run a public company. Um, when the stock's up, you are you're a genius, and when you're, you're the stock is down, uh, you're you're an idiot. So having having had the experience of being both <laughs> at various at various times in the in the cycle, uh, at least there are fewer there are fewer surprises both on the upside and downside. Now that I've I've lived through some of the cycles. Um, on the other hand, what I what I like it's the game that I know the public markets. Um, uh, I'm I'm fortunate that we. Uh, our story seems to have attracted a very similar group of really strong, um, large, uh, sort of strategically minded investors who who do, who um, who aren't biased to to move in and out of the stock, uh, which creates volatility, um, and uh, and they're they're extremely supportive. I mean, we we. Uh, we've had the good fortune of both doing the IPO as well as two follow-on offerings and raising circa $300 million over the course of two years is, is um, a little embarrassing. On the other hand, it's given us the, given us the dry powder to really be strategic and thoughtful about what, what will enable us to grow well into the future. Um, and we don't have to skimp on our pipeline. We don't have to skimp on clinical trials. Uh, we can we can really try to build out a a decade plus long enterprise, which is really what I want to accomplish. And um, and I think one of the sort of back to the things I learned at Hardware. What I learned at Hardware was having a strong pipeline would have been really nice. Uh, that technology took a decade per product basically to develop, and 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 uh, it, the beauty of what we're developing here at, at at Shockwave is it looks like we should have a very steady cadence of product launches, both iterations off of our current devices, as well as uh, new applications of the technology that brings in new populations who are underserved with current technologies. And, um, and if, you can, if you can routinely every 12, 18, 24 months, hand your customers something that, that they are just thrilled to have in their hands, uh, that, that's, a, that's a special opportunity um, and enables you to to really leverage the uh, your place in the public markets, because for companies like ours, investors are not. In some ways, they don't. They almost don't want you to become profitable anytime soon, because they really are are um, looking for growth from a company like ours. And uh, and when our current our current shareholders will probably stick with us for quite some time, as long as they keep looking around the corner and seeing. Yet another year of really exceptional growth and excitement, and and customers who love our device. It's 
they'll start punching out when they're like, ah, eh. so now I'm now this becomes an earnings per share story. That's kind of boring because that you're an earnings per share story when you stop being a growth story. Um, and uh, and for me, the 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 fun is watching watching the growth, watching people grow in uh, through the experience and the organization grow. So um, that it's hard to, it's hard to sustain. So that's our real challenge: is how do you how do you keep that going? Uh, if you do, then then everybody gets rewarded, both um, both investors and employees, and 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 ultimately patients and customers. Yep, everybody wins. Speaking of a pipeline, I know you like to spend some time with the R and D team back in the lab, tinkering with with what's next. What's been one of your most memorable experiences in the R and D lab? Uh, yeah, there've been I, that. That's my sort of. Um, my secret escape is sneaking back into the R and D lab, uh, favorite, favorite part of the day or uh, when I'm back there. Uh, I'd say the, the, uh, most memorable is, uh, is probably, um, we have this sort of remarkable inventor. His name's Hua. He, 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 um, he thought it'd be fun to show me this device that he calls his bazooka. And it was freaking terrifying. Um, I thought he was going to shatter the beaker. It, that that will never see the light of day in a patient, but it it, it does show. It does show uh, we can generate a whole lot of power with our shockwave system. Uh, it was it was impressive and frightening. Um, uh, aside from that, what 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 uh, I'd say my 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 probably favorite experience in the lab was um, a couple of years ago. We were we we were having a challenge with one of our devices. And and really, at a loss for like why wasn't it um, why wasn't it passing the testing that we were looking to get it to pass um, uh, before we we brought it to market and and watching our team go through uh, a really intense root cause analysis analysis to figure out why why had they suddenly stumbled on this this challenge with the device uh, and coming in on Saturdays and seeing them working on Saturdays and getting reports on Sunday nights, um, sort of the, the passion and diligence that, um, uh, that Khan and her team uh, put into this sort of, they're gonna, this is my, this is my baby, I'm gonna figure it out. Uh, and they didn't give up until they did. And, um, and sure enough, when we launched products, it's been fantastic. So it, it's, um, it's not glamorous root cause analysis, um, but it's also one of the things that a lot of companies really screw up on is they they sort of rationalize away a test failure and say, well, it was an it was an anomaly and it's no big deal and here's why it statistically doesn't matter and then you put the product in the, in the customer's hands and they're disappointed. Um, uh, and and this team, I've seen them go through. Now, since then, some other root cause analyses as they're as they're developing their products, and they're and it's um, they're way above average at this, uh, and it gives you comfort that we're going to have products that, that uh, perform very, very, very reliably and satisfy our our customers very consistently. Great. And turning to the coronary indication, what does that mean for us, for the hospitals, for patients? You know, I know there's a lot of interest in that, obviously, on the street as well. You know what? What does that indication do for the company, from your perspective? If you look at the the overall markets that we serve, there are what about four million PCIs. If you include all the 
different geographies, not, 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 we're not, we're not serving them all yet, but it's a lot of patients every single year that get, um, get, uh, get a PCI, a coronary intervention. And every physician I hear talk about calcium says that, uh, that 30% of those patients that of those 4 million patients have, have calcium, uh, so that's over a million patients every year who are getting some sort of intervention and, and, and arguably, arguably are being suboptimally treated because they're, they're generally getting treated with tools that are not designed for um, specifically for calcium. Frankly, we're about the only one that was ever truly, truly just designed for calcium. Uh, they do have other ways of treating it. But even if they have some of these other like atherectomy type approaches, it's it's hundreds of thousands, hundred thousand procedures that get, that get, um, a specialty approach. That means a million patients aren't. And that means there's close to a million patients every year who are probably having stents that aren't deployed adequately, uh, who are at much greater risk for stent thrombosis and ongoing chest pains and pain. And, uh, so it's, um, sort of one of those rare opportunities, uh, uh, rarely does a do you have a product that could just in one indication in coronaries, let alone everywhere else. But um, a million, we could be helping a million patients a year have a have a much better outcome than they have today. Um, and that doesn't talk that doesn't speak to the uh, millions of patients who get bypass surgery who probably don't need to get a decent chunk of them probably don't need to get bypassed because they could, they could be treated more safely with shockwave. Now, now that there is a safe reproducible calcium therapy, which is, which is our product. Um, and, uh, and just like in the periphery, uh, so many of these patients have vessels where other technologies, not to disparage the other technologies, but they're just not really, designed to work well. In, in the periphery, we see that when we treat iliac arteries or common femoral arteries in, in the coronaries, it's left mains, it's osteal lesions, it's bifurcated lesions. I'm sure we won't reach in the, in the first couple of years, we probably won't be selling a million, <laughs> million coronary devices every year. Um, I'd, love, I'd love the challenge. Uh, I think we'd find a way to manufacture them if we had to. Uh, but I think we're going we're gonna to do a whole lot of good for for, I, I expect, hundreds of thousands of patients, hopefully per year, eventually, um, uh, who are going to have a less chest pain, more uh, better outcomes, longer lives, et cetera. Uh, and that's, you know, that's why, that's why most of us choose to be in this industry. Uh, you know, you, you're, you're having fun and doing good. Absolutely. And I know it's been a, it's been a long road, the, the core to the leading up to the coronary indication you know, as you think back to kind of when we started this process almost, you know, two years ago, you know, what do you think is one of the biggest challenge or challenges that the team has kind of had to overcome to, to get to where we are today? Nice thing about coronary device is that it works so reproducibly there that, and consistently there, there was never a challenge of how do you, like, is it going to work? Um, when, when people outside the company would say like, oh my God, are you, are you, are you nervous about the data if you haven't seen the data yet? And it, and it's, it almost doesn't dawn on me to be nervous about shockwave data because it's, 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 it's like freakishly consistent, whether it's a peripheral indication or a coronary indication, you could almost, 
take away the name of the study or the vessel that you're treating, you're going to have almost no dissections, almost no perforations or no perforations, almost no, well, no embolic phenomenon. It's um, as, uh, as a PI of our US trial, Dean Kariaka said, um, when you're using shockwave, just get used to zero because that's sort of your event rate. Um, but you know, running a trial is not easy. <laughs> running a trial in US, Germany, France, UK, um, as um, a pandemic is starting to descend on all of those countries is not easy. Um, uh, I'm sure for the uh, I'm sure for the clinical team, it's really not easy when the CEO wanders in every single day and says, like, how come we haven't enrolled more patients yet? How, how come we haven't enrolled more patients yet? So that was probably the least pleasant part of the day for them. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and yet the team executed, they, they found a way to monitor through COVID, um, and, and, and still be ahead of schedule. Uh, so, so the, the trial execution was, was stellar, uh, probably the cleanest trial execution and, and consistently our clinical team seems to execute really, really marvelously. Um, but this one, even, even for them, I think they were surprised based on their historical experience with trials by the level of enthusiasm from the physicians and how well the trial tracked uh, really had a schedule from, from the get-go. Um, fortunately, someone in the company named Scott had the idea that we also ought to apply for breakthroughs. So one of our like kick saves on the coronary side was as we had already enrolled the trial or been enrolling the trial, we um, you convinced us like take a shot. Why wouldn't we apply for breakthrough? And thank God we did because it's uh, um, it's differentiating. It it matches what customers think of the device because uh, they think of it as a breakthrough. But importantly, it also we we think will um, augur to our benefit on the reimbursement side in the U.S. Uh, it it certainly reduces the risk in terms of our ability to get um, both inpatient and outpatient add-on payments, and and that's that's going to matter because you're you're going to want to uh, offset as best you can the incremental cost of our device, even though it provides exceptional, extraordinary clinical benefit. You know, economics are are not a zero issue. They they do matter. So so you don't want to um, you want you want to make it as easy as possible for customers. And and we, and I think breakthrough is going to shorten the time frame uh, from approval to to some level of uh, of improved reimbursement. Yeah, hopefully. In terms of looking at the coordinate launch, what do you think is the biggest challenge for us as we get ready to introduce the technology? Yeah, well, um, COVID notwithstanding, because that, you know, if hospitals are stuck with patients lined up in ambulances still in a couple of months when we get approved, that's um, understandably, that's where everyone's attention would be. Um, so I'm I'm hopeful that the sort of the, the that we're 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 at the crest of the last wave and that we're heading down from here. Um, maybe that's too optimistic, but uh, aside from COVID, which you which could be your answer, I, is my answer to everything <laughs> that has been challenging over the past year. Um, uh, is the um, you know we're there, while we while the team has done a, an extraordinary job of um, managing 
the the tasks that we all have every day uh, and has not skipped has not missed on on hardly any milestone whether it's clinical or r and d or or commercial. The practical reality is we have over four hundred and fifty employees now. We had closer to two hundred and fifty a year ago. Uh, that's a lot of new folks to um, to bring on board uh, and have everybody be lined up and ready to go to build the product, to sell the product, to take orders from customers. Um, and so we 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 try really hard not to be uh, to sort of over rely on SOPs and systems and everything so that we suddenly go from an, from a startup entrepreneurial company to a bureaucratic one. On the other hand, you, you do have to build up enough processes and, and the like so that when, when, uh, when the next, um, the next person shows up, they actually kind of know what they are, what they're supposed to do. So I think, I think one of the hardest things is going to be the sales team is twice as large as it was. Uh, the, the manufacturing team is twice as large, the, the, like, et cetera. I could go through almost every group. They are twice as large almost as they were a year ago. Um, are, uh, integrating all of those folks, hardly any of whom were integrated at a time when we were coming into the office with any regularity and, and making sure that none of, none of us sort of drops the ball and lets down the rest of the team. So, so far, our quality is arguably better than it was a year ago. That's encouraging. Our yields are better. Our scrap is lower. Uh, the, there are no signs that the rapid scaling is adverse, adversely affecting us, but um, you have to be vigilant. And it's a little bit harder to be vigilant when you're working remotely from your, your bedroom on a laptop or whatever. So, um, so uh, I'm encouraged, but but wary that we've got to really make sure we're paying attention so that we don't suddenly say, "Oh man, we blew it. We forgot that this could that this could come up back and bite us." <clears throat> yeah. For those people who will be coming to us as the first time for a customer through the core indication, you know, what's one thing that those people they'll be surprised to learn about Shockwave? You know, I've been I've I'm no longer surprised because the consistency is is um, is remarkable, but the folks that were here before I got here are, were and remain obsessed with patients. Um, and they weren't salespeople or clinical, we didn't have salespeople, uh, but really throughout the company, uh, it's not, people don't pay lip service. They are, they are passionate about the patient um, and, uh, and passionate about delivering a product that is going to thrill the customer. Uh, uh, so, um, I think the early founders of the company, one of whom was a cardiologist really did a great job of integrating the, the clinical importance, uh, what we're trying to do for these patients, uh, into the fabric of the company. And, and, um, and luckily for me, this, there, there was never a, um, a sort of ethics turnaround that I had to do here or, or culture turnaround. It was, it, it, it was, and remains, remains alive and well. I'm also, I don't know if the customers will appreciate this, but I don't think I've, I've worked with a lot of great teams. I don't think I've ever worked with one where every, 
every functional area is passion is passionate about hitting timelines and delivering on commitments. Um, uh, as a uh, as a former marketing guy, uh, I used to have to try really hard to convince the R and D guys like stop testing. It's time to launch the product. Uh, the team here, they they without without me pushing at all, they're trying to get uh, their products done and submitted on ahead of the schedule that's on their Gantt chart. That's really uncommon, at least in my experience. And and hopefully that translates to customers who, when they interface with our clinical specialists, territory managers, R&D when they're in the field, they get that same sense of um, energy, enthusiasm, commitment to them, the customer that that I see on the on the inside every day. And what would be one thing that listeners would be surprised to learn about you? I uh, started out selling T-shirts. Uh, well, advertising first, first, and then I started a clothing business, hand-printed t-shirts. I used to go to craft fairs in New Jersey and, uh, and then ended up selling to retail stores up and down the East Coast uh, before many of you, and you, Scott, particularly, before, <laughs> before, you, were, before you were working professionally. Uh, and, uh, and then suddenly in the late 80s, there was this little... Um, recession that hardly anybody knew about, but a lot of my customers, uh, small boutique stores started going out of business and, uh, and having started the company on, on my, my $5,000 in savings that I had, it was, um, when suddenly you had to start skipping, paying yourself enough money to buy spaghetti for dinner. Uh, it seemed like maybe that was a good time to, to fold up tents, sell your inventory and, um, and, and go get a real job. Uh, and 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 uh, and get somebody else to pay your health insurance and the like. Uh, but the the remarkable thing is the um, there's there are the the things you had to do, the way you treat your customers uh, when you when you've got a when you make a mistake and you're you're upfront with your customers, they never forget it. Um, uh, the, the, the sort of lessons learned from, from that clothing business, cause we evolved from just t-shirts, but lessons I learned there are almost all fully transferable to, to what we do now, uh, in terms of how you treat one another, how you, how you recognize and reward people, how you focus on your customer, et cetera. Um, so that's, uh, that's probably a surprise to people who don't know me. Um, I used to play rugby. Surprise to me. Well, that qualifies. <laughs> yeah. Anybody who, anybody, anybody who knows me and spends any time standing next to me would say like, oh, you couldn't have played rugby. You must, you must have gotten hurt, which, which is true. So I like the t-shirts. Where, where are we going to go to find some vintage uh, Doug Gottschall t-shirts? You know, I just saw, I just saw pictures the other day. Like, man, I, I guess I wore those things all the time, which makes sense because I got all the rejects. So they were, <laughs> they're ostensibly free. So final question, you know, looking out five years from now, where do you hope Shockwave is, both from the company perspective as kind of as well as where we are with our kind of coronary portfolio? What would be disappointing is if we ever look back and we say, boy, 2021 was a great year, wasn't it? We launched coronary. That was the best year. Like, I I never want this to be the best year um, because that means you're you're heading downhill from there by definition. and you know it's it's the opportunity to 
to delight customers is 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 such a for me it's such an adrenaline rush um, uh, and our technology is so uh, leverageable our r and d team is so talented i it's it's becoming increasingly evident that we've got years and years of meaningful new product launches um, uh, that are 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 um, realizable for us that will will further expand the um, use of shockwave and uh, intravascular lithotripsy and, and, and expand the number of patients that we're able to treat um, above and beyond what we're able to treat today. Um, so, so like shame on us if in five years, um, the devices we're selling today are even a majority of what we're selling, selling then. Uh, we, we should replace ourselves as aggressively as we possibly can. Um, I'm sure it is not lost on anybody in the cardiovascular space who makes catheter-based devices like, hey, wait, Shockwave's kind of getting a lot of attention and our employees want to work for Shockwave and our customers want to work with Shockwave and why can't we do something like Shockwave? Um, uh, and gee, maybe we missed the boat by not, instead of, instead of excluding calcified patients from every one of our trials. Maybe instead, maybe we should develop a device that treats calcified patients. Um, so I think it's much better, it's much safer for us to assume competition's coming, so let's get ahead of them. Um, like sitting ducks get shot as as you, I guess you're, I guess you'll learn in Arkansas. So, uh, so, uh, uh, so the, so I, I I love the challenge of like I don't know what competition's coming, but it's safer to assume it is. So so let's let's make sure they're shooting behind the duck and and meaningfully upgrade how our device works and how our customers feel about our device. Because you want five years from now, I want competition to show up and customers to say like, yeah, that's nice, but look how good Shockwave is. I don't like you're not as good as them. And so I think it's incumbent upon us to take advantage of the. Uh, really remarkable um, technology that we've been blessed with for those of us who didn't invent it. Um, we, we've got to make sure we we are great caretakers um, and providers and, and advance the the technology meaningfully from where it is today. So yeah, five years from now, I almost got to 300 million revenue, just, just, just so close. I've got to get way past that. And not that revenue is what matters. It's, it's the patients that get helped that matter. Uh, but revenue is a good measuring stick. So um, our por our portfolio is many, many hundreds millions of dollars per year of revenue potential. Uh, and so I, we just got to keep uh, executing on selling what we have, but also uh, feeding the pipeline very aggressively uh, so that we can uh, we can take care of, maybe we can take care of a million patients a year. That would be fun. It would be indeed. So. Well, Doug, thank you for your perspective. Really appreciate it. Thanks for your time today. I hope the listeners enjoyed it as well. My pleasure. Thank you, Scott.